people out there who think that God just kind of wound up the world like a clock and just let it go and he's not really doing anything now but watching uh, that is not true that's not true and when we're singing about him his, his healing and him being freedom right now and all these things he is active among us and I hope that you can uh, sense him moving in the room we, um, we brought the lights up uh, we'll be in Mark chapter 2 for you if you want to uh, turn there We've been studying through the Gospel of Mark, looking at uh, Jesus and his activity when he was on the earth, and uh, what that tells us about his activity now that he uh, is moving among us uh, through the Holy Spirit. We'll be in Mark chapter 2. We get to a passage tonight uh, about uh, the Sabbath, and so um, if you've been just hoping that tonight was the one about the Sabbath. No? Nobody? Okay. That's fine. Uh, it's the next one in the story. Uh, Jesus is, um, he's always getting picked on by uh, these guys called the Pharisees. And so we're going to talk about them a little bit and kind of what, what that meant and why they were always kind of messing with him a little bit and uh, just kind of how he dealt with that and, and stuff like that. And, and as we go through Mark, um, we've been kind of learning little by little uh, about this uh, this idea of the kingdom of God and and how God is uh, like He has opened up this into, this entire new world to us through Christ and everything that Jesus is doing is He's like sometimes people say yeah Jesus is turning the world upside down um, but one time I heard someone say oh actually He's He's setting it right side up again you know sin broke the world and turned everything upside down and Jesus is coming around setting everything right side up saying hey this is really like this is how um how things were intended to be before the brokenness entered and so i've come to restore everything to set it back upright and so everything that he's doing all of his teachings all of his actions he's showing us what like what that looks like and um so we get to the the, the part of the, of mark's gospel um, where it's a Sabbath day. And if you don't know what that is, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But um, let's just, let me just read the, read the account, starting in verse 23. Um, it says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was uh, in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, uh, how he entered the house of God in the, in the time of um, Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath." Some stories that we'll come across are going to make perfect sense to us, um, and then some of them you kind of you have to have a Jewish background or some sort of understanding of what's going on to kind of like r- really be able to interpret what's what is being said. Um, 
And so I want to kind of just, just walk through it and explain some of the things that, um, that I don't just like inherently know these things. I have books that tell me all these things. And the Sabbath it is an incredibly big deal in, uh, in, in Israel. If you were to go to Israel on the Sabbath, you would have a very hard time getting around. And you maybe have, uh, have heard, heard of this, but there are, um, there are ways for, uh, there are like um, special elevator procedures that they go through on the Sabbath. Because to push the button would be to, cre- uh, to create a circuit, and that is considered work for them. Uh, you, if you see pictures of busy intersections on the Sabbath, there's no cars anywhere. Like everyone practices the Sabbath to this day. It's a, it's a very sacred thing. Um, that uh, still happens. Um, so let's just, let's just kind of look at it ag- again. Uh, verse 23. It says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, uh, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Meaning, like by walking through, reaching over, and like plucking some grain off of the stalk and eating it, they were violating... The like the law, so to us we're thinking like well, what's a what's a big deal, right? But to them, like to the Pharisees, this was this was a really really huge deal. So who who are these people? Who are the Pharisees? Um, they were uh, they were not an official group, like they didn't they didn't have any authority, is what I mean. Like they weren't uh, they weren't passing laws. They weren't uh, government officials. They were. But by, by best accounts, I, let me just kind of pull in some modern examples. It would be like a mixture of a couple of different groups. Like if you took like the, uh, the ACLU and you, you know, like they don't have, they can't pass laws and stuff like that. But they have a lot of influence and they put a lot of pressure on, uh, on, the, on the courts and, and that kind of stuff. Like they just have a lot of, of influence. It's kind of like a little bit of them, a little bit of like CNN and Fox News, like the 24-hour news cycle people who, uh, they don't really have any authority, but if they don't like something, they will just tear it to shreds uh, at, like for 24 hours until a new something comes along and they'll pick something else and, and whatever. So they have a lot of influence, a lot of power, but, but, but they, they don't have any official, like, official capacity. Like they can't change the law. They can just gripe about it or applaud it, you know, whatever they want to do. Um, so it's like a little bit ACLU, you know, kind of like lobbyist groups, and then a little bit of like Fox News, a little bit of TMZ. Um, TMZ, they just follow celebrities around with video cameras and wait for them to do something, you know, dumb, basically. And then they have it on video. They're like, ah, I got you. Like a little bit of that gotcha journalism, a little bit. And then a little bit of like the, the kid in school who like volunteered to be the hall monitor, you know. And like reminded the teacher of the quiz she f- almost forgot to give. Like a little bit of that like self-appointed watchdog kind of, kind of thing. So, so a little bit of ACLU, a little bit of CNN and Fox News, a little bit of TMZ, and a little bit of that kid from your school. Kind of pressed into one group of people. They, uh, they, they had a very conservative interpretation of the law. And by the law, not like the Roman law, like God's law that he handed down. And so you, know, you start with... Uh, the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments, I guess, were a little too tempting, and so they kept they kept like adding more rules to the rules to the rules to the rules to where there was like you know hundreds of these laws, um, and and it would be you know like if if the law was to pick a ridiculous example, let's say it was like 
Um, hey, you can't play, no kid can play in the, in the street in their neighborhood. And they're like, yeah, but the kids, they, sometimes like the ball rolls out there and they go out there and they're violating the law. So we'll make it that you can't play between the sidewalk and the street, like that little patch of grass. You can't play on that, you know. And they're like, yeah, but it's not like, you know, it's just so tempting because the street's like right there. So how about you, you really can't play in the front yard at all because that'll just, there'll be like a couple of degrees of separation there, you know. And then it's like, yeah, but the kids, they can still see the street. And it's so tempting to them. So they can only play in the backyard, you know. And it's like, what happens if they hit the ball over the house and then they go into the first patch of grass and the sunwalk and the second patch of grass and then the, and the thing. So they can only play inside, with the blinds drawn, you know, that kind of thing. And if, you know, that kind of stuff of like, we're going to keep creating one more rule, one more rule, one more rule to kind of keep distancing themselves from breaking the actual one, one thing they weren't supposed to do. So 10 commandments becomes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. And one of them, uh, like uh, they broke them into 39 different categories. And right here in this story, Jesus's disciples are breaking four different categories just by plucking the heads of grain, um, and so this, but, but this to the Pharisees, like, like they get a bad rap and they should get a bad rap. They should. But in their defense, uh, to them, their super strict interpretation of the law um, meant that they were really, they were trying to keep people like on the, like on the straight and narrow. They were trying to keep kids out of the street. They were trying to keep them from breaking the Ten Commandments. They just felt like the more padding that they could create, the better, uh, which really meant that they were missing the point, which is kind of what this whole thing is about. But um, in their interpretation of the law, uh, Jesus' disciples were, were, they were, they were breaking, breaking God's law, and that was a, like, a sin and death kind of violation to them. So they were kind of like, kind of TMZ-ish, where they're like, oh, we're trying to get you in trouble, we're trying to get you in trouble. But to them, like, like breaking, like not honoring the Sabbath the way that God said to, was like, I mean, that could, you could die because of that. That was like excommunication from Israel kind of stuff. Like it was a huge thing. And so in the midst of all their legalism and rule keeping, somewhere in there, there was something good. They didn't, want, they didn't want God's law to be violated, but it just got twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted into something that kind of just became something completely different. And so they like, would, would notice Jesus because he was kind of a controversial rabbi already. And that's why they keep asking, well, how come his disciples do this? And how come they don't do this? And this and this and this. But this is like a rule-breaking thing. Like this is a, they broke one of the top ten. You know, like, this is a really big thing, so they decide to call him on it. Um, and so... Um, they, even though they didn't have official power, they had a lot of influence. And so people who were, who were Jewish would, like, they would be like, well, the rabbis are saying this, so they must be right. They were held in very high regard by the people because they were very disciplined. They were very, they were very pious. Uh, they were going to fast more than you were supposed to fast because they loved God so much. And so you kind of had this weird situation where even though they didn't have official um, official capacities, they had so much influence that they might as well have been official. And so when they caused a stir, things really got stirred to the point of Jesus eventually being killed on the cross because in part they were causing like that, that kind of stir. So when they came at him, that's kind of a, a quick flyover of like where they were coming from. So Jesus, in his response to them, you'll notice 
that he doesn't really say, um, he doesn't really say like, no, they weren't, they weren't breaking the rule. He doesn't, like, he doesn't necessarily like, kind of go in that direction. What he does is he takes this as a moment to teach them and to teach us something very important about the practices that he has given to his people. So let's look at, look at his response. Verse 25. He said to them, Have you ever, have you, I'm sorry, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. See, he doesn't, he doesn't even defend his disciples, and he's not, he's not deflecting the question. He's helping them understand something, and he's using their own history, like their own story that they all grab onto and embed themselves into. He's referencing something that they would connect with. So the story that he's talking about, um, David had been anointed as king, but he had not yet become the king because Saul was the king. And so, uh, and Saul was trying to kill David, and so David was kind of on the run and stuff like that. And there's a, just a fascinating history there. So God had anointed him, but politically he was not the king yet. And uh, they, they, they come upon the, uh, the, the tabernacle, and a part of the tabernacle is there were 12 loaves of bread that were laid out in front of the altar, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were um, 12 loaves of unleavened bread, and they were replaced each week on the Sabbath. And they represented you know, the, those tribes. And so uh, whenever they would replace with a new loaf of bread on each Sabbath, the old bread was taken, and the priests were, would consume it. And that was like the rule. Like that's, that's, how, that's how it went down. As God prescribed to them, only the priests could do that. And so David comes in. And he's the anointed king, and he is on the run, and he has a group with him, and they are hungry, and the only food that is available are these 12 loaves of unleavened bread that's called the bread of presence. And so David goes in, and uh, in his authority as king, says, we're going to eat this bread. And the priests probably put up a fight, and, but he was like, well, I'm, but I'm the king, and we're hungry, and that's what bread is for. And so we're going to eat it. And so they ate it. And all kind of people got super mad. All the way to the point of this day, to where Jesus, in telling this story, it probably still kind of made the Pharisees mad. You know? So what is it, why would that be his, his answer to things? Well, in their, in their effort to interpret the law, and kind of like they were the self-appointed watchdogs of the law, they had forgotten something very important. They've forgotten to factor in human need to their Sabbath rules. So on the Sabbath, you were not allowed to, like you weren't, you, you didn't cook, you didn't harvest, uh, you didn't, like there was to be no work done. And in, in the book of Exodus, God, like he lays out, you know, a lot of like, you know, practical things, but they just kept adding on and adding on and adding on to the point where there's 39 different categories. I mean, just rule upon rule upon rule. And every time they would add rules, it's like they got farther and farther away from something very important. And in trying to protect the rule, they forgot about like, the fact that God is all about us loving Him and enjoying His creation. That's the, that's the point of the Sabbath. 
So on the Sabbath, do you eat? You absolutely eat. You feast. But you prepare it the day before. You know, like you get ready for everything and then you just enjoy it for a whole day. And you don't clean the dishes till the next day. You know, like you, you, you separate that stuff out. You don't do any work. You plan, you prepare, you enjoy the full day, and you get back to work the day after that. That's how it's supposed to go. A day of feasting, a day of rest, a day to enjoy, uh, modeled after what God did on the 7th. And so that's what they were supposed to have done. David and his men come through. They were on the run. They're running for their lives. Uh, they were like the king was trying to, Saul was trying to kill them. Uh, so they didn't have time, obviously, to prepare something. And so where do they go for food? They go to the house of God. And there's bread that's there. And the bread is representing the very tribes that he is going to uh, oversee as king. But the need in that moment was not some sort of principled stance. The need in the moment was, we need food. And so they ate. Jesus doesn't deny that they technically violated the rule, but instead he helps them to see that, that really the, the Pharisees were kind of missing the point of the scriptural precedent. Uh, their interpretation of the law failed to include human need in their processes, and so their goal became keeping the rule. That was the goal, was to keep the rule. At the, at the end of the Sabbath, or the end of any sort of practice, if they had kept the rule, if all of the hundreds and hundreds of rules had been like, abided by, they would high-five each other. And the, it was like they celebrated the fact that they kept the rule instead of, did we love and enjoy God today? That's the point of the Sabbath, and they had lost it. And so what, is, what does God want to happen on the Sabbath? Well, he doesn't want them working. He doesn't want them working. But what happens on the Sabbath in Israel today? If you, uh, in your celebration, I mean, let's say, let's say, you know, like me, like you're dancing real hard because you're celebrating. What if you, what if you break your ankle? And they carry you to the hospital. But is that work? I don't know, is carrying work? And can we drive there? And how does that work? And are there any doctors that will be willing to do, like, will they, will they do x-rays? Can you do x-rays on the Sabbath? And this and this and this? No, hospitals are open on the Sabbath. Why? Because human need comes before just keeping a rule. Like that, that has to happen. There are, are times all throughout the, the Bible where there are exceptions to the Sabbath rule based on need, but the Pharisees had just lost sight of that. And it just became about the practices instead of what's at the bottom of the practices. Like, what is it rooted in? What's the aim? The aim is about loving and enjoying God, and they had just forgotten that. And that's what legalism will do. Churches are full of legalists who just, they just want to know what the rules are, and we just got to keep the rules and what happens, you know, when I was talking about the kids not playing in the street and like keeping all the rules, within all of those rules, eventually there works in this idea of like, well, guess what? Good Christian kids don't play in the street. And that's the, that's the like demonic evil thread of legalism that, that, that is, is so painful for a lot of folks in our context. Is that these rules get created... And a part of the rule is, if you're a good person or if you're a good Christian, you do these things or you don't do these things. And all that does is just cre- it just creates all this stuff that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He's like, hey, you're missing the point. 
You're just missing the point over and over and over again when it's all about keeping the rules instead of enjoying and loving God and enjoying and loving one another. And so in this battle against legalism, Jesus comes up against the Pharisees all the time. And they probably would have said, yeah, but the most loving thing we can do is whatever it takes to keep people from violating this commandment that uh, will, will bring upon them death. You know? like I'm sure that a part of their mindset was like, no, that's actually what love looks like. It's setting up all these rules. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what love looks like. Yeah, we, yeah we, like, we need to rest on the Sabbath. We need to do everything we can to prepare, to enjoy that day. But if there's human need that comes along, that has to factor into how we handle those different situations. And like something that, that, we have, um, that we've learned as a church over the years is that, that there, like you can have like some like procedural like policy type things in place um, whenever like needs come, like come our way. But it's not black and white. Like you, there is no standard issue procedure that's going to handle every situation uh, of need that pops up. And so, you know, we've, we've been in, this is our third location, you know, hopefully there's a fourth location coming uh, at some point. And, and we, are, you, you never really know who's going to knock on the door and just need help of all different kinds. And when we first started out as a, as a church, uh, there, was, um, there was this couple who was coming uh, like we were at, over at Parkview, and and they they just kind of got to where they knew exactly when we were meeting and stuff like that. And we would help them from time to time, and um, it was it was enthralling, you know, because we'd never had we'd never had a budget before, we never had money to work with, we had to bless people and take care of people, and uh, and so we were just like like so excited really to be able to help, and. All these other churches were telling, they were like, look, they are scam artists. You cannot help them. We're like, no, 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 we really believe them. We really believe, like, no, God's in this. God's doing stuff. And, uh, and the, the lady was in a wheelchair, and one day we were, we were going to, we were going to someone, someone went over to, like, pay for a night at a hotel for them or something, and they looked in one of those, like, round mirror things you can see around a corner, and uh, the lady, she saw the lady, like, run to the wheelchair and then, like, like, come around to come and, like, thank, you know, thank us for giving them another night, you know. And uh, it was just such a sad moment, you know, because he was like, no, we thought we were doing such a great thing here. And, uh, and do you think God is like, come on, dummies, you know, like, get sharper. I think God is looking at us and he's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to put needs ahead. You just, you just need a little, you need some more street smarts. Like you need to kind of like learn what questions to ask. You need to, you need to learn how to do this, but, but you, you have to help people. And there were certainly like plenty, plenty of people who thought that was awesome and other people who were like, no, that's bad stewardship. That's bad. This, it's bad. This It's bad. This. And, um, we've had so many opportunities to, to like learn as we go. How do you, how do you not be a Pharisee, but also not be a sucker? You know? Like, how do you, like, we want to, we absolutely want to help people. Because we look at Jesus and he's saying, hey, the need in this story is the fact that my disciples were hungry. And the story with David being on the run, the people were hungry. And so the human need was going to come first. It doesn't mean that there's like this, you know, pattern to set up. You know, he's not saying the Sabbath doesn't matter anymore. He's like, no, the Sabbath absolutely matters. 
But in your understanding of things, the needs of people have to be a part of it. That every practice He's given us, every practice He's given us, is embedded in love. All the time. The Pharisees had missed it. They were, they, they were wanting to keep the rules so bad that they had forgotten about people. Jesus is saying, hey, let's, let's not throw out the Sabbath, but let's also not throw out the fact that sometimes there are hungry people around us. You know, To love and enjoy God, uh, it looks like, like for them, it looked like them probably planning ahead better next time. It also looked like them getting to eat. And so what Jesus says after referencing that story in verse 27, he says, uh, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What do, you think, what do you think that means? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If you read the creation accounts, the Sabbath doesn't come along until well, well, well after man is created. But the Sabbath was given to us as a gift. The Sabbath is supposed to serve us, not us serve it. For the Pharisees, they had gotten that wrong. And sometimes it feels like, uh, like especially American churches, can kind of be the same way, you know? Instead of realizing that, like, no, the, the, the church is a, like, is, a, is a blessing to us. Like, we are a gift to each other. And all the practices of the church are all gifts to us that God has given to us. All of them embedded in love. And so for Sabbath keeping, um, you know, I've preached on this a couple of times before, and it's easy to feel like that's like a Jewish thing. You know, that's like, that's like just for Jewish folks. And um, as Christians, like we don't really have to pay attention to that one on the, on the, of the Ten Commandments. You know, all the rest of them we abide by, but that one kind of gets put to the side. But really, no, like it's, that's not the case at all. Um, it's very clear when you study church history that the New Testament church still kept the Sabbath. And believers all around the world still keep the Sabbath. It is a day of, it is a day of rest. It is a, a day where we, we intentionally stop the rhythms of our lives in order to enjoy God and enjoy each other. And what that looks like for you and what that looks like for me, you know, it's probably, it probably varies. And um, if you want to hear me kind of go into more detail about some of that stuff, I can give you some podcast dates and stuff you can listen to. Let me just run through a quick list. Uh, see, the, the, to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was like this oppressive system. Jesus, in setting the record straight, these are some of the things that Sabbath points to. Um, we imitate the Father. So he created, he created in six stages. And then the last one, he sat back and he just loved what he had done. And so we're imitating God, who is all about, he's all about the creative energies we put into things. He's, he's, all, he's a worker. He's absolutely a worker. And he's also like, hey, I'm going to enjoy all of the fruits of my labor, and you need to do that too. And so we are imitating him. Um, another one, it, it reminds us of his faithfulness. Like if you never, if you never stop to enjoy what God has done for you, um, then, then it's easy, like we were talking about in the beginning in Proverbs 3, to feel like steadfast love and faithfulness have forsaken you. And so once a week we stop and we're like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to bust it today. You know, like I'm not going to do all those things today. I'm going to enjoy the fact that God has been faithful to me. 
And even if you don't feel like your list is super long, and even if the only thing on your list is the word Jesus, then that is enough of a list forever. So it reminds us of his faithfulness. It demonstrates our trust in his provision. What they would do is they would, they would trust that, that see, that, that they worked seven days a week, like in that, in that part of the world at that time. Like there wasn't like, it wasn't like ours where we kind of break it up. Like it was all the time. And so, but for Israel, they had this one day where they didn't work. And a part of what that is saying is, our God's going to provide. He's going to provide the day before the Sabbath, enough to be prepared. He's going to provide a whole day of feasting and enjoying. And also, the next day, like we don't have to, we don't have to live day to day like that. We can take that break, and He's going to make ends meet for us. They would do Sabbath years when they were supposed to. They didn't really do it. Trusting that God would provide and provide and provide. It, uh, it provides us with an opportunity for holistic rest. You know, like you're able to physically rest, mentally rest, emotionally rest. It's not just a day where we don't do anything. It's a day when you're, like you're filling your soul with things. It's a full 24-hour period where uh, or that is happening. And so if you need to take a nap, you take a nap. If you need to take a second nap, you take a second nap. You're able to rest completely. Uh, it maintains, our, our, uh, maintains order in our battle against idolatry. One of the biggest idols in our culture is schedule. And we just, we go, we go, we go, we go, we go, we go. And so it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, my schedule's not going to control me. I'm going to control it. The Sabbath serves us in that way. Is it, is it, it helps remind us of what is important. Um, helps us intentionally enjoy the gifts that he's given us. You ever, you ever feel like you, like if you don't intentionally stop and enjoy things that you'll just blast right through life, you know? Well, the Sabbath is this regular opportunity to stop and enjoy. Um, and it propels you into the next week that's ahead. So you're, you're recovering from a week and you're also getting ready for a week in this way that's really deep. Um, build solidarity within the community. Like I was saying, in, in Israel, like everyone's, everyone is practicing the Sabbath. So it becomes easier to do that. And I'm sure some of you, especially you with young kids, were like, we would love to practice the Sabbath. It would be so nice if like, no one ever scheduled a birthday party on the day when, like, because ever, everyone was like Sabbathing, right? Like you wouldn't have to try to schedule all these different things and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's difficult to do. But how awesome would it be like, if, if it was like a, a practice that our whole church was involved in? Think how much unity like, you would feel and being able to, to practice it, struggle through it, figure out how to do it, learn from one another, encourage one another in that. But there's a solidarity in Israel because they're all like, no, no, it's a Sabbath. Like, we're, we're resting today. And there's a unity that exists when you see a busy intersection with no cars in it. So there's solidarity within the community. It sets us apart from the world around us. Imagine you're a traveler coming through Israel, and you go, and you're like, where's all the people? And someone's like, well, this is, this is the day when we stop and we enjoy the fact that God takes, our God takes care of us. Like, imagine what that, that met, the message that that sends is like, no, we don't have to, like, we don't have to work 24-7. We can, we can be 24-6. That's totally fine. Because our God is faithful to us. It says something to the world around us. Um, it sends a message to God and ourselves and the church and those who don't know God. Uh, all these things are there because the Sabbath was, is given to us to serve us. We don't serve it. So Jesus says, 
The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What he's essentially telling them is he is the fulfillment, he is the picture of what the Sabbath is all about. He says, I've, I've come to, to, to bring a fulfillment to the meaning of Sabbath rest. And I've changed everything. So when I first started off in this series, uh, I, I talked about what does God want us to know, what does God want us to do. That was kind of two questions I went into with every text. Let me just summarize uh, by saying, by, in that same kind of way. Some of you are probably wishing I would just done that the whole time. Um, what does God want us to know? Well, one thing is that every practice he gives us is fueled by love. Everything that we do. So if we're praying, if we're singing, if we're tithing, if we're, if we're fasting, if we are gathering together, if we're serving people, if we're being hospitable, um, if we're taking communion, if we're like... Uh, I don't know if I said singing, if we're studying the, the, the scriptures, all of the things that he has given us, including the Sabbath, all of them are fueled by love. It's not about keeping the rules. It's not, like, it's not about actually doing those things. It's what does, God wanna, what does he want to do in us as we're engaging in those practices, as we follow Jesus in, into what he did. He wants to grow us in grace. He wants all, I mean, all those things are given to us to train us in godliness and love. So I think he wants us to know that. And so what does he want us to do with that? Well, as we follow him into those things, we, we have to do so with the, with the needs of other people in mind. That all of those practices, like they're, are they primarily about loving God? Yes. And what comes, what comes with loving God is, comes with loving people also. And so the needs around us, like that's what drives all of our ministries. It has to. And I was talking about like the like that that couple who was kind of scamming us, and we didn't know it, you know. But we were trying to love them. We just needed more experience in, in how to do that in a way that was actually good for them. Uh, and I, God has given us that experience, and so we're trying to, we're trying to do that. Uh, so no matter what we're doing, it's because. We love God, and God loves people, and this is like how he has given us to work. So all of the practices, whether it's Sabbath or fasting or any of the things that Jesus is talking about, he's like, Pharisees, you have vacuumed love out of that, and I'm here to make sure that love is a part of every single bit of it. That's the first thing. Second thing, and final thing, God, what does God want us to know? He wants us to know that the Sabbath is a gift to us. We are not a gift to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift to us. And so what do we do with it? We're supposed to, um, well, to use these exact words, um, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We can't carve that part out of the Ten Commandments. Like, he's given that to us. Remember it. You know, practice the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Keep it separate from all the other days and have it be devoted to God. And what that looks like, uh, you know, there's a lot to figure out and there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of things there. But, but we need to be pursuing that because our rabbi did. And it is as simple as we look at what Jesus did and we do the things that he did. Some of them are easier than others. Uh, some of them are easy to figure out what it looks like in 2017 than others, but we do that together. And so I would love to know, for if you have pursued Sabbath practice, I would love to just hear from you at some point. Not right now. 
But I hear from you at some point, I'm like, what have you learned? What's, what's been easy? What have you figured out? Especially people with kids, because that's a lot of questions that you get. Is like, how do you do this with little ones and all that stuff? But we're, if we're going to follow our rabbi into these things, we have to know that they're embedded in love and that they're for our good. And we're going to learn that together. And so Jesus is like, he's the model. He says, I'm Lord of all the days, including the Sabbath. And this is about loving him above all others. So we're going to spend a few minutes loving him in some different ways. Uh, you may want to love him th- through communion. Chase is going to be serving communion. You may want to love him by stepping to a table where he's offering his body that you tear off and his blood that you dip in the juice and you take that, his body torn for you, his blood poured out for you. You may want to come kneel and pray. You may want to, there's a giving station over here where you can give prayer requests or you can give financially to the uh, efforts of, of the church. You might want to sing. You might want to do a number of all those things that are happening. But every one of these practices um, is embedded in love. And so we're going to engage in those together now for a few minutes before we scatter out into the world, which is another one. So let's, let's stand together. Why don't you just take a second and gather your thoughts. Jesus, we're thankful that you have, uh, that you took advantage of this opportunity. I mean, here's this group coming at you, and you just look at them and you turn it into a teachable moment. You remind them that uh, it's not about keeping the rule, it's about loving and enjoying God. And we can't love and enjoy God when there's need around us. And so if we can meet it, we should be meeting it. Jesus, thank you for communicating with the Pharisees in a way they could understand. I mean, you could have just shredded them, but you just you quoted their history to them. You reminded them of something that they had maybe forgotten. And it was very kind of you. We thank you, Jesus, for freeing us from a rule-based system for freeing us that we can now love you Uh, we can make those choices so we can engage in these practices in, in an effort to love you and love others so in these next few moments as we sing and take communion and pray or give or let someone out in line ahead of you I mean there's all kinds of ways we can do that but you remind us that all of these things find their origin in loving you and loving each other. That you are Lord of the Sabbath, that you are Lord of communion, that you are Lord of prayer, you're Lord of giving, you're Lord over all of these things. And we, as an effort to to show you our trust, to show you our love, to ask for your help to mature and grow. We just we need you, Jesus, just to meet us in these moments like you have done from the beginning tonight. Would you empower our efforts to love you well? Would you hear our prayers as we bring you our situations and our, just the things we're dealing with? And would you help us to worship you in these different ways and in spirit and truth together as a family? these next few moments kind of culminate our time together in in exactly the ways that you envisioned tonight. 
We love you. God, I pray these things.